This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. On this here, LA, it's a lovely Sunday morning. Visibility is okay, but uh, yeah, pretty good stuff. Anyway, you're here live with me, Dr. Jeff Forber here, your host on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, here on Instagram Live, here for you, here for your pets. Any questions you have, let me hear them. I already have one. Starting off, we're going to do in a minute how to get a hold of me very easy. Here on Pet Life Radio, just click on the link that Mark has left for you there in uh, and go to shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Click on the link and we'll join you here live here on Instagram. Do what you're doing. Just ask away. So let's start with the New York Yankee. I had to rush my 15 and a half year old Jack Russell Terrier to the hospital last Monday. She threw up all of her food and had a list uh, a lot of weight loss. Ultrasound CT scan showed a tumor in her liver. It doesn't go on. It's 10 centimeters. There we go. So that unfortunately, liver tumors, 15 and a half years old, not a good combo. Uh, liver tumors in general are not good. I don't know if you recall a number of weeks ago, I had uh, removed a, well, gone in for what was uh, going to be a fairly, hopefully, routine splenectomy. Found out the spleen itself actually looked, I mean, there were tumors on it, but none of them have ruptured, but the liver tumors ruptured, bleeding all over the place. There is nothing you can do. Uh, we don't do liver transplants. And uh, at a 15 and a half year old dog anyway, I mean, at this point, sadly, it's almost like hospice. Keep them comfortable as long as you can. When they, if they continue to vomit, stop eating. If they're weakening, if they're starting to like, they're losing weight, starving. We don't want that to happen to dogs. And, and, and it allows us, you know, really to do the right thing. And that is to let them go peacefully and uh, avoiding any animal suffering. That's our job as veterinarians. And um, hey, look, you got a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, 15 and a half years, pretty darn good. And if uh, the dog's been doing well up till now, she's been, you know, a happy dog. That you did your job. She did her job to give you the love and the compassion and the, the companionship. And you did the same for her. And the beauty of euthanasia is that we get to enjoy all that and yet avoid and minimize the animal suffering at the end. Sometimes you wonder if we shouldn't be able to do that more people, but that's another story. But anyway, it's probably that time. Enjoy. Don't, don't let her suffer. But again, think of the good side. Luckily, agreed to babysit a relative's dog. Dog brought fleas into my home. I treated everyone topical uh, weeks ago, but itching seems to persist. So here's the thing. We got to remember, first of all, topicals, depending on which ones. I'm not a big fan of the Frontline, which is Fipronil, or the Advantage or Canine Advantix, which is imidacloprid. Not that they're not safe. They're very safe. Thing is, they've been on the market now for so long, they're just ineffective. They may do some. They may, yeah, they've kind of lost their charm. And then by going over the counter, having people use them inappropriately, that just contributed to the ability of these fleas to develop resistance to these active ingredients. So the only topical that still works okay in a cat uh, of the older stuff is Revolution, Celemectin. It might help in a dog too. I don't, I've never found it that effective in dogs anyway. But the new things, you have Brevecto. These are called the isoxazolines. You have Brevecto, Credilio, Nexgard, Semperica. The Brevecto does have a topical option. So if you like topical, go with the Brevecto. They also now, they used to, it was a 12-week. Now it's a 30-day um, if you choose. And interesting now, now three of them, and I'm sure Brevecto will follow soon, but Semperica now has Semperica Trio, which is now not only flea tick, but adds heartworm. Cordelio has Cordelio Plus, 
which is also adding heartworm. That's a tablet. And then the Cordelio also has one for cats too. It's called Cordelio Cat. And then now NetScard just came out with its plus, and it's not only flea and tick and heartworm, but now it's also the intestinal parasites. I mean, they're obviously these companies are all trying to battle each other out and who's got the best, who's got the most, you know, they're all good. There are concerns with certain dogs that may have had predisposition to seizures and they, some of the uh, isoxazolines might predispose them to seizure activity. You know, again, my dogs are on them. I've not had a problem at all. I don't know if I've, any of my patients so far have had this, but it is in the literature. If you know your dog, for example, has epilepsy, you may want to, to go easy or understand that. And just because one of them predisposed doesn't mean the others do. So they're all, they're all first cousins, but they're not exactly the same. So keep that in mind. So what to do? Uh, in a case like this, there's Capstar. Capstar will kill all the fleas immediately. But the itching, and, and this even happens with the new isoxazolines, are very effective in killing fleas. But the problem is, in order for the flea to die, it has to take a bite. And if the dog is allergic to the flea saliva, it's going to get some, a small dose of saliva. So do know that dogs can still scratch. Now, I don't know what topical you've given, but I would examine the dogs really carefully. If you are seeing flea dirt, which is a little black specks, looks like a little pepper. And if you add water to it, it turns like a little red. That's basically the flea feces that is your dog's blood. So that's kind of what it is. Anyway, I would continue that. Do a better flea product if you have one. If you want to bathe them first, that's good. And also, if they're allergic, now you have to treat the allergy, which means you need to talk to your veterinarian. Something like, you know, a cytopoint shot or you know something like that. That's also important. So keep that in mind. Okay. So surgery on Tuesday. So that's the thing. If if this is an isolated, and that's important. Well, first of all, there's good news, bad news. They have to know what the tumor is. If it's an isolated to a lobe, and I did this recently. I had a single tumor on one lobe. The rest of the liver looked good. I, we did what's called a lobectomy. We removed the liver lobe. And that dog is doing great. So it's very important to know what type of tumor you're dealing with, more from a prognostic, long-term prognostic standpoint. So if it's something that is not generalized in all the liver, that would be bad. But if it's, if it's isolated, it's a single a mass isolated to one lobe, then that would be maybe fixable for a while. My concern with that is, that if it were that, it's unlikely that the dog would be from the liver disease. Now, it could have been the vomiting episodes could have been due to something else. But since the liver, the rest of the liver is fine, usually one bad lobe is it's like living with a, you know, one less lung lobe and you can, you can do it. One less kidney, you can do it. So if the lobe isn't functioning, it shouldn't have caused that. So my concern is when they get in surgically, they're going to have to do some major evaluation going in to find out, is this something A, that's more aggressive? They'll know, know that from biopsy, but has it already spread? The stomach sits right inside that liver. So it's very possible that you know it, it's surrounded by liver. So if this tumor or whatever it is, this 10 centimeter mass right, is associated with and infecting the stomach, then again, that's not a good thing. But please keep me posted. A growth on a dog. So fiber and fat when choosing a dog food. Well, high fiber is, is good. Dogs love fat. So uh, you, you want to keep fat down to a, a minimum, especially if they're trying to lose weight. But you know the energy mostly comes from the carbs. And the additional carbs ingested that aren't used for energy, those are the ones that get stored as fat. So um, let's face it, fat, when you look at it with you know, kilocalories per volume, 
It's the 494 rule, four for uh, protein and four for carbs, but nine for fat. So they're very, very calorie rich, uh, the fat is. And so when trying to lose weight, you want to try to eliminate the, the fat and the triglycerides, et cetera. So, you know, they say fat, depending, I can, I can find that exactly. There, there are so many different, the problem also when reading the labels is the can versus dry. And they, they usually do it on a dry matter basis. So for example, cats can be up to 35% protein, right? But when you're doing a, on, a, on a dry matter basis, you might look at some of the foods that are much higher. So you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons as far as that. But um, Lena, I will get back to you. And um, when choose the dog food, are you choosing it for what? Do you want the calories? Do you want to keep them lean? Do you want to be really super tasty, fat's really tasty? So these are things you have to be concerned about. Most of the commercial foods on the diet that are available to us, you know, they are certified by AFCO, the Association of American Feed Control Officials. And if you want a higher fiber, you can either add fiber or just get a food that promotes itself as a high fiber diet. What do you do about a growth on a dog? Well, it all depends on what the growth looks like, where it is. Does it feel, does it seem to be attached to deeper tissue? Is it bleeding? Is it growing quickly? So these are all the things that all depends. A lot of times I'll see a little growth. It's a skin tag. It's a ward. It's a little fibrous growth. Been there a while. Not going to panic. What I do to the owner, I'll say, you know what? Next time we do a dentistry, why don't we take this off? Uh, then again, there are some growths that are growing rapidly. They weren't there two weeks ago. They're starting to bleed. When you touch them, they're painful. When you feel them, they seem to be attached to deeper tissue. Those you want to go after. So um, you want to evaluate it. Now, here's another thing. Sometimes some veterinarians like to do what's called a cytology. My feeling is that cytologies often lead to a dead end. They come back and they are you know, sort of unable to um, make a diagnosis. Okay, they'll, they'll come up with the thing non-diagnostic, may have missed the appropriate tissue, all these things. So if it's a mass that you would like off anyway, don't waste your money on cytology. Where it might come in handy is if you have a questionable mass, it may be a mass cell tumor, you want to get wide margins. I Even then, I treat everything as I get the widest margin I can, depending on where it is. And if I can have a lot of skin left over, I'm going to go wide because that way, if it does come back as something like a mast cell tumor, I not only am I going to get a di an accurate diagnosis because you're giving them real tissue, but we're hopefully going to solve the problem, treat it at the same time. So it's curative at the same time as diagnostic. Sometimes if it's a very deep tumor and you really need to know how deep can you go, how much muscle you're going to cut into, et cetera, then you want to try to get a good representative sample. But don't do a punch biopsy. Don't do something in my opinion, that you're going to have to knock out the dog. Then when the results come back, you're going to knock them out again. That to me doesn't make sense. So um, uh, you can do, there are some cytology smears you can do. If it's an ugly tumor that seems to be like oozing, uh, you can take a slide and squeeze the little mass and put the slide on top of it, send it in for cytology. You might get something representative. But bottom line is, if you're going to want to remove it anyway, just remove it and then send the whole tissue in for the biopsy. Okay, let's see what we got here. Uh, set and approved. Good. Good luck on that surgery. Hello, Janice. All right. 10-year-old male cat keeps getting bladder crystals. He's prescription diet, but it continues. Plenty of water. What else can I do? Well, you know, first of all, it depends. If, if they are struvite crystals, you want to keep them on. Well, first start with an SD to dissolve and then a CD for maintenance. If it's the oxalate crystals or struvite, there is by World Canaan has a food called a urinary SO that are supposed to be somewhat preventive. You want to make sure that, again, depending on the crystal, if it's Truvite, you want to keep the urine as acidic as possible. 
preferably five and a half to six. Keep it much more acidic than a six and a half or even seven. I don't, seven is like neutral. It's basic. I mean, it's neutral. It's not basic. It's not acid. It's not base. It's right dead center. But for these crystals, they thrive in basic environments. So if you have a pH of eight or nine and the crystals are there, you need to get a good urinary acidifier. Talk to your veterinarian. There, there are many things out there. Ammonium chloride seems to work well. Sometimes the good old-fashioned vitamin C, ascorbic acid can work well to acidify urine because remember that stuff is, goes through, through, through the kidneys. So keep that in mind. All right, waving, waving, waving. Then we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Vicky here joining us. And we have some things talking about. Speaking of fleas, the itch, and some things you can do. How often is it you should anal glands done? Really depends on the dog. I, I, my dogs hardly ever need it. And who do it, does it? Well, the, you know, the groomers usually do the easy way, which is just gland against gland. They don't go rectally and really squeeze one at a time. And often that's enough. But if it's, if it's happening again and they're coming back often, uh, you also might want to add a little fiber to the diet. That might help as well. Minimize it. Um, if it becomes a real problem and a frequent problem, then you're talking maybe about doing uh, a surgery which removes the anal glands. It's tricky. Not everybody does it. Uh, you have to be very, very careful about the muscles that surround the anus itself uh, because you don't want to ruin those nerves and muscles because if you do, guess what? <laughs> You're going to have a mess on your hands. There's just no control. So on that happy thought, I'm going to leave us for a quick minute for our commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have Vicki from Eloise join us for more questions. Get your behavior questions ready. All right, back. Perfect. The next one, separation anxiety. Is it a training or medical issue? That's a perfect one to start with when we come back right after these short messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet And we're back. We're back here live. Let's start. Two Yorkies. His allergy is really bad. She gets side appointments. She actually, but she also gets bumps on her skin so hard to get them to clear up. Well, that definitely is is allergy. And the side appointment is good. Check for fleas. And remember, some of the allergies, side appointment is great. I love it. It's my favorite. But it's not. There are other allergens that are what we call mediators of the inflammatory response. All right. It's not just interleukin 31. So in some dogs, there are others that Cytopoint does not get. Cytopoint is specific to interleukin-31. So talk to your veterinarian about Apoquil because Apoquil uh, actually suppresses the enzymes that help these mediators. They're Janus kinase 1 and Janus kinase 3. We call it JAK1 and JAK3 for short. So some of these dogs that don't seem to respond as well as we would like to just Cytopoint may do better with Apoquil or a combination of both. So keep that in mind. So anyway, Vicky. 
How you doing? I'm good. What about good. you? Good. So we had a, a couple of questions. One, you uh, we were talking about the itch. All right. Yes, I wanted to bring that up because I'm so excited to tell everybody about this. This is so not a plug for Dr. Weber, but it is. I am loving your new shampoo. It's called Wet Itch. And, you know, lots of people come up with products and I'm always trying stuff because I'm not only a dog trainer, but I'm a rescue. So I tried that shampoo on now four dogs, no itching whatsoever. My dogs were scratching themselves like crazy. I've done Apoquil. I've done checking for their diet. I mean, that shampoo is a gold mine, Jeff. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's amazing. So, and I want to hear about the other products. I'm only mentioning it because, you know, summertime is a big problem for people. You know, if your dog is itching and uncomfortable, it's really hard to train a dog that's miserable. Right. So those go hand in hand. So when I started using that shampoo just recently, my dogs were so unhappy. I mean, to be scratching and I take good care of my dogs. I do their food right. I go to the doctors, go to you. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's really important to talk about like how just itching and irritation and all this stuff, you can't train a dog when they're miserable. It's like you, you don't want to do anything. So will you tell people, where do you get that product? You can get it either. Um, well, some of them are going to be on Amazon. Um, they have it at drjeff.com. So you can go to drjeff.com. And what itch, I maybe, I think I'm out of it already. I'm keeping a supply at my office as well. For those of you who, who come to see me, we have it as well. You know, there's some other also nutritional supplements that have omega 3 fatty acids and vitamins. Uh, those could be helpful as well. So you can, you can always get a hold of me and I can um, help you, you know, uh, sort of navigate through these things. And they are helpful. And I've heard some really good news, good things about it too. So anyway, I'm um, pretty happy. Real quick, there was a, a question that came in and about separation anxiety. And that is something that we have a lot of trouble dealing with because it's, first of all, it's not easy. It's more common than we'd like. And I, I think interestingly, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this, but for many people that have, you know, again, lives were affected because of COVID. And one of the things that they, most of us had to do was spend more time at home. And then the animals now, our dogs, get very used to having us there. And it, we become part of their true major part of their full-time environment, not just in the afternoon, evening, and, and early morning. So, right. so they become more dependent upon us for attention. So then what happens now, right? We go back to work and we've been going back to work. So you know, how do we navigate through? What are some of the hints? And what are the, some of the... More importantly, mistakes that we make that basically propagate the emotional distress caused by our leaving and ourselves. So the most important thing is, is a lot of people, like you said, went through it in COVID. I was very conscious of that myself because I am a dog trainer. So here's the biggest problem with people. Your dogs can be in the same house. They just shouldn't be right next to you. So separation, you have to realize, is unnatural for a singular dog to live alone. They are pack animals. So teaching a dog to be alone is a feat in itself because it's unnatural for them. So if you're going to do this, you need very carefully to separate your dog from yourself. That means putting a baby gate up and putting them in the kitchen. That means putting them in a crate, putting them in your bedroom during the day when you're home. See, people think crate your dog or separate your dog when I leave, but that doesn't help the anxiety when you're home. 
So they need separation from you all the time. So during the day, take 30 minutes and put them in the kitchen. Take them away from you because then they learn to self-soothe just like children. It's not that different. We go from having a baby, keeping them in a bassinet to moving them into a crib in your bedroom. So you need to separate your animals on a daily basis from you. So start backwards since COVID. Take your dog, put it in a crate for 30 minutes. Don't make it a punishment. Make it fun. Throw a treat in. Go, good job, and then call it out. Good job. Make it fun. Put something great to chew in there. Only when you give them a bone, only give it to them in the crate or in the kitchen with the baby gate. So that's really important to start separating from your dog so that they don't have anxiety. Another thing that, that I would kind of guard people and warn people about doing, you know, we don't like being away from our dogs just as much as they don't like being away from us. So what yeah. do we do? First of all, before we leave, you already feel guilty. You're leaving them alone. So what do you do? You go, you give them a big hug, hug, hug kiss, 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 right? And then when we come home, right, what do we do? <gasps> Excited to see you. So then they're jumping up. They're waiting. They're sitting at the door. They're being destructive. They're waiting for you to come home. For, for that, well, guess what? So part of it is our mistake. When you leave, Completely. as Vicky said, get them involved, get them back in, the, in their kitchen on their favorite chew toy, favorite game, whatever it is. And you kind of get all, you're already, your coat, your umbrella, wherever you, whatever season it is, wherever you live, your purse is already in the car. And you just casually, while they're busy doing whatever they're doing, you sneak out of the house. Actually, I don't think sneaking is a good idea because you're not teaching them separation. I hate to backtrack, but okay, go ahead. the most important thing is, is here's the deal. I call it the five minute rule. Pick up your keys during the day, put it down. Pick up the leash during the day, put it down. So they never know coming or going, it doesn't matter. Now, my five-minute rule is this. Don't talk to your dogs for five minutes when you leave and five minutes when you come back. Don't engage them so that it's normal for you to come in and out. But no sneaking. We don't sneak away from our children and we don't sneak away oh, uh, from our dogs. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, people want to because they like, oh, if I sneak out. Truth is, I was a teacher for 19 years with two to five-year-olds, and the parents would always say, I'll just sneak out. And I'm like, they're still going to scream and cry. You just don't have to hear it. So instead of sneaking, we just do things normal. We walk in, we walk out. Don't pay attention to your dog when you get home. Give it just five minutes. Get your you know, water. That, that I agree. That, that we do. And walk same in, thing when you leave. Right. As if you're not there, they're not there, you're just kind of walk home, go to the kitchen, do your thing. Exactly. They're going to be all excited. They're going to jump up yeah. on you. They, you know, jump on your leg, pet me, pet me, hug me, hug me. And it, then after the Five dust minutes. settles, then offer them a hand, try not to make eye contact right away, give, you know, give them a little pet under the chin. And then, right. and then you know, you could uh, start... I say engage them after five minutes, go to your couch, call them over because now you're setting the standard. If they're setting the standard by going, hey, hello, are you there? Are you there? And you go, come here, come here. I'm so sorry I was gone. Your anxiety rubs off on them. I believe right. in energy. Right. So your energy has to be calm, cool, and collected when you come and go. And then so will your dog. Yeah. Now, there also, there's some games that are really cool. You want to kind of engage your dogs and, and you, know, you shouldn't always be the one to give reward for your dog's good behavior. And there are like toys and stuff now that deliver the treat themselves. So, so you don't have to be the one giving it. And you can stuff certain bones. So there's a cool game. It's a board game. Like and it's got a lot of sliding moving pieces with little wells. And you put treats in the wells and then you cover them up with a sliding piece. So now what happens is the dog smells it. 
They know there's something in there, but now they have to figure out how to get it. Yeah. And they keep working on it until they do. And then they learn. And so depending on how large the game is, how many wells, what you put in there, I mean, they could be occupied for, for a half hour. And, right. um, and that, that, so then you, it takes the pressure off of you to all, always be the one to be the treat giver, the reward giver. And right. then they want to play with the game because they know you're not giving them the reward. They're giving them the reward. Right. And also it help, it helps them a lot because it also is working their mind. So, you know, when we're anxious and nervous, if you're working a dog's mind with that kind of engagement, they relax their body. Because when, as you know, because you're the doctor, when dogs chew, they're relaxed. Like drinking, like when we go on a plane, I always say to people, bring ice chips, let them lick because it calms their body, the swallowing. So, you know, it's separation anxiety is really something that is twofold. Unnatural for dogs to be alone. They are pack animals, but we can work it out. And secondarily, people need to stop overdoing their dogs, being anxious when they leave. They have to let that energy go low and stop engaging your dogs when you come and go. Just give it five minutes. One of our products that we have is called Chill. And it's all, it's all natural, valerian, passion flower, chamomile. So uh, these are things, melatonin, these are really cool things also that help with separation anxiety because it, it brings them down a little bit. They don't get so worked up and it's all natural stuff. That's good because there are some dogs, like I'm working with a dog right now, that when it it goes in and out of its crate, it's fine when it's around me as a trainer. When it's around its mom, it goes in its crate and it is overly panting. She comes back and the blankets are drenched, Right, which is worrisome. How is that medically, Jeff? Like, what would you, Dr. Weber, what would you think of a dog who, like, how much panting in a cool environment is dangerous for the dog. Well, you know, first of all, from a heat perspective, certain breeds, by the way, can be very dangerous because like the short-faced brachycephalics, the Frenchies, the Bostons, the Pugs, they actually, they can work themselves up to a tizzy and their body temperature can go up. That's important. Most dogs, it's just the panting, but it's indicative in a case like this, it's indicative of stress and anxiety, and that's not good. So those, this is where the, the anti-stress, anti-anxiety medications or just what you can do to minimize that. Now, what New York Yankee is writing here that our past dogs don't like being in a cage. So how can we train a dog? Because we want to sometimes have them caged for their own safety, right? And what's the best way to get them to not only tolerate the cage, but actually like being in the cage? So that's what I was talking about. So training a dog to be in a crate, people do it the wrong way. One is I'm not a fan of metal crates. It's not enclosed like a cave. Animals like to be quiet and in a closed in space when that was natural for them to live in caves and dig into something. Obviously, we've you know made our dogs different now, but my dogs love their crate. Why? Because I created it as a good space. So I always talk about high drive treats or different types of treats. I use regular treats, their kibble all day long. Now, when I really want to work my dog, I may get some chicken. If your dog's allergic to chicken, there's a company that makes these beef nibs that every dog I've trained goes bananas over and I'll post it. But you want to throw a treat in and make it a game. So they go in the crate and you go, good job. And then you call them out of the crate. So you do that like four or five times a day. And you feed them breakfast and dinner in the crate with the door open. When you do that, it becomes a place of dogs love food. 
You know, if your dog's not a foodie, we can discuss an alternative. But most dogs, if they want to eat their breakfast or dinner, they'll go in the crate. So once your crate becomes a feeding ground, they're in there all the time. My dogs, I catch them in the crates all the time. And I don't have to leave them in there, but I can, you know. And remember, crates are not just for when you leave the house. When a dog goes to your office, Jeff, they are in a kennel. So do you want them to be anxious or know how to be in there? You know, when your dog goes to the groomers, they're in a kennel. If there's a crisis, you may need to pack your car and put your dog in a crate so they're not jumping in and out when you're trying to take care of your car. Crate training is more than just for your house. It's a really imperative point. I know somebody who recently traveled and because their dog wasn't in a crate, they opened the door and the dog got out and got lost. Right. Because it was nervous. So, you know, sometimes having a crate in the car is really good. My dogs, I let them use it all the time, always throwing a treat and make it a happy place and definitely feed them breakfast and dinner in the crate with the door open, tether it open with the string so it doesn't close on them until you're ready to close it. When you close it, then you treat them when you close it and you stand there. And you go through it and you work through a crate. Lots of people have crate training issues. I get hired um, for that. Last concept. question before we have to go, because we're late. Okay. Um, my Great Pyrenees is panning a lot lately. I thought it was the heat, but he's sometimes doing it at night when it's 50 degrees out. What could it be? We just talked about that. So when dogs pant like that, my lab, who's almost 12, does that too. He'd be lying in bed, sleeping dead to the world. All of a sudden he gets up and you know, four in the morning, <laughs> all I have to do is say, Tommy, cut it out. And he'll put his head down. It's almost like older dogs. I don't know how old your Pyrenees is, but um, it could be, believe it or not, a, an early form of a type of dementia where they wake up from their nap or their sleep and it's dark, it's quiet. They don't know where they're at. It also could be just anxiety because you're not being given, get, being given attention. Could be pain. I don't think so because, I, and this is how you know, if it persists despite all these other things you do, then maybe it is pain. But with Tommy, it's not pain. I know it's partly just waking up and, and kind of getting his surroundings. No one's paying attention to him. He's with all the other dogs. You know, we have five. They're all sleeping. And he, he said, wait a sec, guys. I'm up now. Give me, give me some attention. And then he starts that panting. But I can shut him up in two seconds. So it really depends on what the underlying cause is. But those are some of the things to think about. Again, anxiety, stress, pain, or early type of dementia. So anyway, and what if they're fine. young, Jeff, real quickly? What if the dogs are young and they're panting excessively? Like, could it be a heart condition? What could they have? It's unlikely a heart condition. But, you know, again, you can have it, have them checked out. But uh, also it depends how easy it is to get them out of it. If, they, if you can get them out of it by, by starting playing with them and they're, and they're back to 100% normal, then it was just more of a, you know, a lonely anxiety kind of thing. Right. Anyway, that's all we have time for. We've already run over our time, a lot of time. Thank you, Mark. Anyway, so if you want to get a hold of us, if you have any questions for me or for uh, Vicky, Vicky will be back again in, in uh, several weeks, four weeks, roughly about once a month. Behavior questions, your behavior questions, she's great. She will help you through it. If you need to get a hold of her, you can get to Eloise, right? Eloise Rescue. At gmail.com. Yeah. Gmail. Or you oh. can, or I have an IG that says Vicky Wagner Dog Trainer. You can okay. Reach Vicky out Wagner to me. Dog Trainer. So, uh, and if you have any questions about my product line, we have some really good stuff. Just get a hold of me, send me an email, uh, send me a message here on Instagram, reach me at drjeff at petliferadio.com, and uh, we can uh, help you out there as well. Thanks for joining us here. 
Vicki, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. And um, again, we'll see you here uh, next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Here on Cut Life Radio's Ask the Best of Dr. Jeff and Instagram Live. Uh, Verbs underscore TVM. And um, have a wonderful week. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.